being deep in somebody's head is an unnatural place to be. Like, you're not really allowed to go there normally. Welcome to the Nurse Surgery Podcast. I'm Mike Wang, and I'm here with my co-host, Jake Nichols. We are here to discuss all things neurosurgical. Hi, this is J.P. Colson, a resident in neurosurgery at Rush University. Please note that this is not a CME event, and the opinions and statements made in this podcast do not reflect those of any institution or professional organization. Now, let's get started. So today we're very lucky to be joined by Nick Bullis. Uh, Nick Bullis is uh, really what I would call a micro-celebrity, and that's not an insult. That's a high compliment. A micro-celebrity is someone who within their field uh, or specialty is really a celebrity. And Nick uh, has been a friend for years and really, I mean, one of the most riveting aspects about Nick is you can't get over his personality, which is just huge. <laughs> Welcome to the podcast, Nick. Thanks, Mike. Great. So you're really an interesting uh, person who's, who tries to do so many different things, and I wanted to talk to you about psychology. And I know you know a lot about a lot of things and we could talk about any topic, but I kind of wanted to delve into this concept of like what, what is the psychology of a neurosurgeon? And, and what would you say is like the quintessential profile? Like, do you fit it? Uh, I think that I fit parts of that, that profile. I mean, I think if we dive into the quintessential, um, characteristics of the neurosurgeon, number one, um, I think that uh, we require uh, immediate consequence of action uh, to validate um, the value of any action in particular. Um, that is, we're not good on, on deferring the feedback, right? There's something inherent about um, operating that you know whether you did good or did bad, did well or bad uh, immediately. Uh, and I think that's, that's part of it. I think. The other emphasis there is the consequence of action. Uh, we crave uh, a, a very heavy consequence. We, we crave durable consequence. Um, and I think, uh, for me, that's incredibly important because uh, I was searching for something, uh, a lifestyle, um, that would make my actions matter in that moment um, so that uh, I, I believe it <clears throat> enhances our, our level of experience because, quite frankly, we pay attention or you're forced to pay attention. Uh, and, and in particular with me, I grew up uh, with raging ADD. I have a very hard time paying attention to things. Uh, and neurosurgery was one of the very few things that captured my attention. Uh, I don't think that's true of all neurosurgeons. I think many neurosurgeons uh, are, uh, are far more... Uh, inherently focused, um, but I do think that that uh, that we all crave that heavy, immediate consequence of action uh, to validate our experience. So, one of the better validated models in psychological literature um, to look at and analyze personality on an individual level and populations is the Big Five personality traits. Those are openness to new experiences conscientiousness, which you kind of touched on there with the ability to focus in on a single task, um, extroversion, agreeableness, and neuroticism. In your thoughts about yourself, about your colleagues in neurosurgery, about 
young trainees coming up in the field. Which of those would you hone in on as maybe the most important aspect when considering this field? Um, well, could, first of all, could, could you write them down and I'll, I'll go through the list. I mean, neuroticism I don't think is important, but I think it's, it is a, a, what I would call a covariant. Uh, I think people that are drawn to neurosurgery tend to be outliers um, because it takes a certain person to accept all this consequence of action, all this, uh, for want of a, uh, a better word, just stress. Um, but we're drawn to it, and we can explore why people are drawn to it, but uh, I think we're, in general, outliers. And I think whenever you take a, a group of outliers, um, you're going to find a, a higher titer of neuroticism um, uh, in that mix. Um, so I don't think that that's causal. Um, you keep returning to this this concept of the consequence of action. Right. Too often in life, and especially in a high-stakes surgery and a trauma, that consequence is negative. But you find satisfaction or fulfillment just being in a scenario that has immediate consequence, whether or not it's good or bad. Correct. In fact, I think it's important um, that either valence is possible. And I, and I, I say that, um, you know, there's a huge reward and there's, there's huge punishment um, when things go wrong. Uh, and we're not always uh, in control, but we're always responsible, right? Um, so I think, it, again, it comes back to what I originally said, which is it, it elevates the intensity of experience because what's going to happen matters. You know, it's going to be really great and you, you're going to own that or it's going to be really bad and you have to own that also. Um, so coming back to, back to the list or your list, uh, I just, I, I don't think extroversion is necessarily important for, for neurosurgery. Um, I happen to be extroverted. Mike happens to be extremely extroverted. It's one of the ways we get along. But um, I don't think it bears on our capacity to act as, uh, as surgeons. Uh, it, may, it may bear on our ability to interface with patients. It certainly bears on our ability to engage in leadership in the field. Uh, uh, as for agreeableness, I put that in the same category. I don't think it's, it's as, I, I don't, I think you can be, under, disagreeable and still be a highly effective a neurosurgeon. In fact, many of our role models uh, took pride in not having to be agreeable or extroverted. Um, they believed, I think, that, that their capacity to deliver in these high-stress situations um, was enough. Um, and it, it was sort of part of what was really important was a high level of confidence. Um, and that sometimes that confidence... Um, that perhaps narcissism uh, <laughs> worked against extroversion and agreeableness. Uh, I think that's less true now. Uh, I think that in tr medical training, there's an expectation uh, that you connect with people. Um, but, but I think at the end of the day, the sine qua non is how we perform um, when we're in the operating room and our capacity to make good decisions about who goes to the operating room mm -hmm. um, and, and be decisive about in both, both spheres. So openness to, to experience and conscientiousness. Conscientiousness is absolutely critical. I just think right now on this list, um, that's topping the list for me for being a good neurosurgeon. Although I don't think it's, it's good enough to be conscientious. Um, 
but perhaps it may be because we, I think we can agree that with regard to the issue of technical virtuosity, you know, our ability to execute um, highly complicated, um, dexterous activity under pressure, right, um, that, that we recognize in the, the samurais of our field, right? Not everybody's going to be a samurai. Um, but uh, I think people can choose where along that continuum they want to be. At the end of the day, you still have to be conscientious. Um, I do a lot of deep brain stimulation. Uh, that requires uh, almost no virtuosity with regard to, to this dexterous capacity to execute under pressure, right? Which I think is, is one of the core value systems of our field, but it really requires conscientious conscientiousness. Yeah. I mean, I, I tell people, you know, this is not me being a fighter pilot. I have other operations for that. This is me being the captain of a super tanker where you got to be pay attention to the details and ultimately you own the same kinds of horrible outcomes if you're not going to do that. So I put that at the top of the list. I think the openness to experience, um, I would put that number two in this list because I think, I think where that lies is the difference between somebody being a good neurosurgeon and being uh, an exceptional neurosurgeon. Um, because no matter what, um, you can't be timid. You have to be willing to, to go places um, which are going to be novel. Uh, and, and coming back to the ADD thing with me, I would never be able to sustain a career um, where, there were, where the experiences weren't renewed and new. Mm. Um, doing the same thing over and over again would be nearly impossible for me. Um, so, so, so Nick, I mean, you, you have a very interesting life history, and I don't want to rehash it all, but like you went to college at Yale, right? Yeah. And one of the really interesting things about you is that your roommate is also a very well-known neurosurgeon, right? Well, actually, in the um, Lawrence Hall, which was the uh, dorm facility for Ezra Stiles College at Yale, um, it contained, well, it housed me, Aruna Mar, uh, who was one of your co-residents, and, and frankly, how we got to be such good friends, uh, who was my roommate and very close friend, uh, and Andy Parsa, who oh, I wow. wasn't that close to. The late to. Andy Parsa, yeah. That's correct. Um, I was not that close to Andy at Yale, but I grew to be close to him and during the residency, even though we mm -hmm. were we ended up in different residencies, because we were pursuing such a similar core value of of becoming a clinician scientist, and there are benchmarks okay. for that. So yeah. I want to take you back thirty years. Okay, okay. Oh, you're boy. back at Yale now. Okay, <laughs> I know it's scary. You're looking around at your class. What two thousand kids, fifteen hundred kids, whatever it is. Everybody there pretty much is very bright. Right. They've got promising futures. They're very accomplished. Do you think you could go back and pick out the people that would A, be common neurosurgeons, and B, the ones that would be good at it? Like, just by knowing who they are. I, you know, this is one of those, uh, you know, when Arun announced, probably during his time at, at UCSF, well, of course we were really close. This is his medical school years. Yeah, he, yeah. he went off, he did a fellowship in pathology, uh, and then went, into, went to UCSF, I went off to Harvard, and, and we were, of course, communicating. Um, at Yale, I was absolutely obsessed by the mechanics of consciousness. I did a, a major in biology in the psychology track, which was then neurobiology. I did another major in philosophy in the psychology track. Um, basically, it was mind and brain studies. I was completely obsessed with this stuff. Arun 
was a was more interested in broad philosophy, um, uh, phenomenology, etc. But when he got to to medical school, began professing a desire to become a brain surgeon. Um, and I thought to myself, I, I, I remember this this guy who, frankly, was fairly timid when it came to say going sledding on um, uh, <laughs> um, the 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 cafeteria trays that we used to go to the disco school and go crashing down this hill which had like wrought iron fence at the bottom <laughs> and and we was like the last person lining up to do that and I was like obviously gung-ho uh, and I, I just thought about that and thought you know he, he doesn't seem like he's um, brave enough to do this and yet he became a vascular neurosurgeon I became the functional nerve pain guy you know uh, so I mean any day of the week it takes more uh, Testosterone to to, yeah. to take on aneurysms than the kind of stuff I do. Um, so you know you that's know I mean? a that's a great follow up podcast is how you can determine what your best subspecialty <laughs> of neurosurgery should be. Right. You could we could even devise a test for that, like a little personality test, right? <laughs> so so it's it's interesting to me because you know a lot of our listeners we believe are uh, people who are interested in neurosurgery as a phenomenon, but are not actually neurosurgeons. Mm-hmm. Maybe people who want to be neurosurgeons, aspiring people, a high school kid medical school, resident, uh, sorry, not, not a resident, but uh, college kids. And, you know, I, I certainly have my sort of prototypical big five uh, personality trait of a neurosurgeon and what you need and what you, what you don't need. But, you know, you and I both run into lots of folks who come to, for mentorship and they don't seem to have the, I don't want to say the right, because there's not just one right personality, but they don't seem to fit that bill. Right. Right. Do you think those people, A, should change to become the quintessential neurosurgeon and B, are capable of changing who they are? Again, there is a continuum within neurosurgery that can allow for variance in personality types. I think that it's people are far more likely to be happy and successful if they can, if they can find a activity and um, category that matches with their personality. I think, I think an attempt to change your personality by the time you're ready to choose a medical discipline, let alone a subspecialty, I think that ship sailed. Well, you know, and I think if you try to, to adapt because you are trying to achieve some label or um, uh, you know, put yourself into a mold that you weren't meant for, I, I think that's psychologically discordant, and I think you're you're destined for trouble. So I, you know, I, I I'm sure you have the analog at Emory in Atlanta, but we have this like camp neuro for high schoolers, and all these high school kids, wow. you know, they're all beaming, bright eyed. They come in, and they, you know, and 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 half of them, full half, say they want to be a brain surgeon, and you know, maybe they don't know the difference between a neurologist and a neurosurgeon or whatever, because they couldn't be any more different, right? Mm-hmm. But but they come to you and they're asking for this advice. And I keep thinking to myself, I don't know if you saw that movie Rocket Man about, about uh, Elton John. It's really good. It's, it's very well done. And there's this great part where someone's talking to the young Elton John, the, the pre-famous. Right. You know, he's not even a micro-celebrity yet. <laughs> and, he's, and they say to him, the guy says <laughs> to him, the more experienced rock star says, in order to be the person you want to be, you have to kill the person you are. And I sometimes think, and I don't know if this is true, it's a theory of mine, that residency is 
in some ways killing off like the neural pruning you know when yep. you're you're a teenager, yeah, yeah. killing off a part of you that's not acceptable in our field or not conducive to good outcomes whatever you whatever label you'll put on it right it's it's changing you to be something that's proven to be more effective okay uh, so i have two immediate responses okay, yeah, to please. That. um hopefully i can i can get these out uh, before i lose track but number 1 i believe very strongly in that this is a that neurosurgery training is just that it's training. It's not an education. Um, it's it is embedding motor memory. It is it is a molding and adaptation of our identities, um, and in particular, part of that. And it's pertinent to the whole eighty-hour work week thing. Um, I when I became a neurosurgeon, I wanted to be part of an elite core. Um, and I was willing to sacrifice for that. And without the sacrifice, it would not be an elite core. Um, That's and, very well put. And I wanted, so I wanted to make that sacrifice. I mean, I wanted to bleed for it. And, and, and it's hard, I think, having come through that era to relinquish the idea that there's something about our identity that, that is earned through that suffering, for example. Um, and it, it, all that hardening, per se. I mean, I view neurosurgery training appropriately to be like the forging of a katana, where you know the blade is heated and hammered, and bolted one thousand times, and heated and hammered to the molecular to the level, point where it is a sharp, yep. honed tool, and that's what we ought to be. And I think we should, in the process of making the decision to be a neurosurgeon, we surrender to that, and we're going to miss a lot of, um, for example enlightened experiences because we need to be focused in that process of hammering and folding, okay? So I, I think that that's the way it ought to be. Um, frankly, I don't hear anybody clamoring for kinder and gentler uh, duty hours for our SEALs, and I feel like we're the SEALs of medicine, and it ought to be that way. I have a great so, line. I, you know, when I, I'm sorry to interrupt you, but no, no. when I come to see my patients in, in admitting for surgery, they always ask the same question, Dr. Wang, did you get a good night's rest? And I always give them the same answer. If you have to ask that question, you picked the wrong surgeon because it doesn't matter. They don't ask the SEALs. We just interviewed a SEAL earlier yeah. today. Do you feel like killing Osama bin Laden today? It's not up to you. You're trained to not, it doesn't That's matter, right? right? You, need to, you need to be able to deliver regardless of your state. So that's thought number one. Okay. Thought number two gets to the point that um, I, I'm listening to you, and it's interesting because when I started my career wanting to be a clinician scientist, I mean, what's the pinnacle of success as a clinician scientist, academic neurosurgeon? Nobel Prize. Uh, well, how many neuros Nobel <laughs> Prizes have been awarded to neurosurgeons? Not many. Um, and I, the, I think that's a good one too. But to me, it's becoming the chairman of a of a program. So, and and frankly, uh, when you commit yourself to spending a lot of your actual working hours killing rats instead of killing people, you're going to get paid less. But when you get, uh, you know, if you get to the the top of the food chain as a as a, um, a chairman, well, then other people are are have to do the operating, and that's you don't you're not benchmark necessarily RVUs. Now, that may not be true everywhere, but it also was a good financial model for me. So, so when I set out on my goal to become uh, the very best clinician scientist that I could, to me, the hallmark of success was becoming a chairman. But the closer I got to that and the more I interviewed 
for those positions, the more I realized, first of all, in, as the chairman, I would have to actually reinforce or enforce rules, and I am probably the worst person to enforce rules because I love breaking rules, <laughs> um, that, that being, being essentially middle management in a university would be like the absolute worst job for me, and that ultimately I want to express and achieve my own agenda, not like embrace the agenda of the group a whole lot. Um, so it, it, what I realized was I was trying to do to be and become something that wasn't me, um, and and I went a totally different direction, which was, you know, adapt my expectations to fit who I realized I was. So you know, I've kind of gone in a different direction. So I want to ask because you mentioned that because we were just talking about this recently, Doctor Wayne, shooting from the hip. Are neurosurgeons rule followers or rule breakers? That is a great question. The quintessential neurosurgeon we're discussing. Okay, so there was a moment in my residency where a guy named Mike Polensky, who was one of my senior residents, chief resident at the time, I think I was a junior, you know that junior chief relationship that's really close, you really respect that person. I can't quite remember what he said, but he, what, what I realized was that that part of why I absolutely loved neurosurgery is being deep in somebody's head is an unnatural place to be. Like you're not really allowed to go there normally, and yet we can. So it was like at the heart of breaking some really fundamental rules about human behavior, like taking the back of somebody's head off and going down in there and you know having to look around. I, what I realized was that for Polensky, you know, neurosurgery had nothing to do with with breaking the rules and and that it, that the risk that was involved. Hmm. I mean, to him, it was about orderly obeying the rules such that he could carry out the task. So I know where I stand on that continuum, but I don't necessarily think all neurosurgeons need to be you know, inveterate rule breakers. But, you know, I think, you know, that's a great question because I think that if you look at our DNA, it's Harvey Cushing, right, or Dandy. And these were guys that were taking on stuff that nobody would touch because it was basically a death sentence to go yeah. through a surgery, right? So that part okay. is the rule breaking, right? right? The but big picture. Did, the, those guys created the field. Right. They were the innovators, but right? You, but we're going to be interviewing a lot of innovators like yourself, like John Adler. Yep. Neurosurgeons invented basically like half the stuff that's out there. Right? I mean, it's crazy the amount of innovation for 1% of doctors. So I think at the high level, we're the rule breakers. But I think that in order to engage and not have errant results, you have to be very disciplined at the micro detail, like a Navy SEAL. Navy SEAL has to be absolutely detailed on how they execute their rifle maneuvers or shooting. But then the big picture, right. they have to be flexible. And they wear beards. Right. Right. And so it's, a very, it's very parallel, I think. It's very much a parallel. Yeah. I mean, I... I you know, it, listen, depends on your practice, depends on, on where you want to go. It's, somebody, somebody has said that the creativity in surgery, there's, you don't need creativity in surgery when things are going right. Yeah. You need to be creative mm -hmm. when That's things right. start to go wrong. Just like the seals. Right? Yeah, and, it, and yeah, it's when, it's when the, your planning uh, doesn't account for what is happening, and it can't always that's when you need to be creative, and it's a particular type of creativity, right? Yeah. 
because um, you got to execute it on the spot um, and, and have confidence in your actions, right? Well, See the solution and follow it and, and stand by it. Nick, we could talk for hours. We could talk about politics. We could talk about, about drugs. We could no, talk about Burning Man. We could talk about anything, right? <laughs> uh, and your science and the great work you're doing in ALS. And I, I hope you find the cure or part of the cure, maybe an arm of it. And uh, congratulations on all your innovations. And, and really want to thank you for the time you took to come talk to us today. Right on. Thank Anytime. you, sir.